Hi, I'm Corey Wayne, and the video that you're about to watch is one that we filmed back in, like, I think it was the end of November of 2023, and Eric uh, Blanford, RackVet8888, has got a big YouTube channel, pro-gun, Gun Owners of America, does lobbying efforts, is, you know, putting a lot of time and effort in basically lawfare and going after and, and helping to sue the federal government to get these unconstitutional gun laws overturned. And so his background is he was in the army and served in Iraq. I can't, from, I, I forget how many combat tours that he had over there, but we, this discussion, we were talking about Abdivka and a lot of the, you know, what's interesting is we're basically giving our, the West is including the United States, our best equipment and our best gear to basically, so the Ukrainians can test it out because, I mean, from a strategic perspective, it would make sense to take your best stuff that hasn't been tested, give a few systems to the Ukrainians and have them put it up against the best that Russia's got because hopefully it should be better kit, better weapons, better air defenses, and figure out ways to defeat it, plus give the Russians the opportunity to try to see if they can defeat our electronic warfare and some of our air defenses that we've given them. And so in this discussion, we were talking about Avdivka, and uh, there was some kind of, because uh, I've been reading about this, Michael Kaufman's been real good um, about, because um, he actually goes over there. If um, if you guys are interested in somebody that actually goes there and talks to the people on the ground, talks to the people running the war, and uh, he's been pretty accurate, pretty honest, where, where things are good, bad, and different. And, and, uh, and so we were talking about this pocket, pocket in Abdivka back in November that had been created. And so they had brought up an electronic warfare system of some kind. It was basically a, able to jam all of the Russians' drones and uh, probably even some of their aircraft. And they also brought up some air, air defenses. So I know the... Germans gave the Ukrainians a truck-mounted uh, Patriot missile battery, air defense type of battery. And because these systems are in short supply and the West is not, we're not like giving them hundreds of these things. It's like a handful of these individual systems plus older systems that they're basically connecting together. And, um, and so there was a pocket that had, had been created. And you guys will see that as we go through it, because in this past week, oh, about a week, week and a half ago, Avdivka, the Ukrainians slowly withdrew. And uh, there were some reports that the Russians were actually able to even bring up some air support to attack the Ukrainians as they were retreating. Because in the past, when they first opened up this pocket, I think they had one of the, you know, they brought one of the Patriot batteries up and they shot down several aircraft. They shot down some helicopters and so they, what they seem to be doing is kind of moving this Patriot Air battery around because it's truck mounted. And just the other day, they shot down three planes. The I think it's the Su-34, if I'm not mistaken, the fighter bomber. Shot down like three of them. And so what they do is they bring, bring these things up, turn the radar on, see where all the planes are, and then shoot the missiles off and then you know, close down the battery and then take off and move to a new location. And so the, the missile systems move into a different location yeah. when the missiles are, you know, are still on their way to the target and it shot, shot three, three planes down. It's a smart That's, way to avoid getting bombed. Yeah. So, 
because um, then you get you know because once it takes off, the Russians have counter counter battery fire, and they can they can detect where it took off from, and then launch counter artillery. And if you're still in the same spot, you're going to get blown up. And so you, it's like you know shoot and scoot basically. You shoot your missiles off at the planes because it's a fire and forget type of missile system, and then you can move the launch vehicle and the radar and haul ass out of there. And, and uh, so the um, the Ukrainians withdrew because it was kind of not a good from a defensive position because their whole their whole strategy is now shifting to a strictly defensive strategy. And because, you know, you got a lot of the pro-Ukrainian people that are screaming for more artillery, more missiles, more air defense, give them the F-16s, give them more main battle tanks, more Bradleys, give them more everything. And we've been going through our stockpiles. And the, the thing that was shocking to me about this whole thing is in the 1990s, our capacity to make artillery was like, I think it was 155 millimeter was like, we were make, able, we had the capacity to make... 900,000 rounds per month. And when the war started, we were only making, I think it was like 12 or 14,000 rounds a month. That was our capacity. And when you're in a war, you you can literally shoot hundreds of thousands of rounds, especially if you've got a lot of artillery and a, a lot of tubes shooting it. You can go for thousands and thousands and thousands of ammunition in a, very, in a matter of days, basically. And... I remember reading that they had something like the capacity to fire something like 450,000 rounds a month, but they only were getting enough ammunition for about 200,000 rounds a month. That's and still then, a lot of rounds, though, too. So in the defense authorization bill, there was, I think it was $6 billion that was allocated for a new um, artillery plant. I think it's in Texas. It's being built. And so when that thing is completed and it comes online sometime early 2025, that should get our artillery capacity, monthly capacity for new shells up to a hundred thousand rounds a month, and so because the Russians have the same same problem is like they're dipping in their stockpiles now. North Korea is giving them a bunch of ammunition, and so that's part of the problem is that the West has let their capacity to make ammunition totally atrophy, and so the demands of a conventional type of war basically everybody's going through the stockpiles. You got South Korea sending their stockpiles over. I think it was Denmark, the prime minister. She was just on an interview recently. Last year, they gave the Ukrainians every single piece of all the artillery that they had because they're like, hey, we're not going to need it. So their whole stockpile of artillery they gave to them. Yeah. Plus, I think they had 19 Caesar, um, 155 millimeters. It was a truck-mounted um, howitzer, you know, automatic loading type of system. It's really accurate because – you can pull up on station, you know, dig into the ground, mount, you know, pull the gun up, point it, point it where it's supposed to go, load your rounds, fire, you know, four or five rounds, and then the rounds are still in the air on their way to target, and you know, you pack up and then you haul ass before their counter battery can fire back. But I think it was like nineteen. They had nineteen systems total in their whole arsenal, so they basically gave them all the artillery, the Ukrainians all the artillery that they had, so they got nothing now and they don't really have a capacity so now they're going to wait several years to get replacement um artillery systems for that and it just you know that's the big thing that wins wars is is logistics and one of the things that michael kaufman has been reporting on because the obviously the offensive culminated and it really didn't accomplish a lot and you know it's like some of the areas the russians are probably going to end up take retaking a, a lot of that area back 
But what you see is, you know, a lot of people in the West screaming about more artillery, more this, more that, sending more cluster munitions, more missiles. They want them to send uh, more cruise missiles, that kind of thing. They also have the Army Tactical Missile System, which, you know, they've got, I think, three or 4,000 of these things that are even, like, pre, pre-GPS. And so those are those big um, missiles that have, the like, the bomblets in them. I think it has, like, one of them has up to, like, 900 like grenades in essence and they're great because you know for like um bombing like an airfield where you got all your helicopters and stuff parked and they have used them in the war but we only have a few thousand of them total in the stockpile and biden's been very stingy and i think he gave them like 20 or 25 total and so they used them and took out a bunch of those uh, i think it was the ka-52 54 52 attack helicopter that the russians have they you know they basically perforated all of them and some of them were completely destroyed because they were, you know, causing a lot of problems for the Ukrainians during the counteroffensive. And so you got people that are pro Ukraine are like, well, give them what they need to win. And, you know, there's, there was like, I think it was 4 billion in lend lease money that wasn't even used there. I mean, there was a lot of money that the, even the Republicans gave Biden to use and he just refused to send them the stuff. He could send the Ukrainians what he needs or what they need to win. But when you listen to Jake Sullivan, who works for Joe Biden, there's been some, uh, I don't know, talks or interviews where he's on stage with four or five other people and they're talking about Ukraine and what their strategy is. And when you listen to Jake Sullivan talk, he's the guy that's running the war for Joe Biden because you get people in the West who are like, what are you doing? Send them the stuff they need to win. It's like they're, they're sending the Ukrainians enough to not lose, but not enough to win or give them a decisive advantage. And then after you know you watch some of these videos, they're floating around on Twitter where Jake Sullivan's being interviewed, and they're asking him like, "What's going on? What's the strategy? Why don't you send him more stuff?" And hit their whole strategy is they're trying to attrit the Russian forces. In other words, they're basically trying to murder as many Russian troops as possible. And when you look at the the Russian army, the Russian military, their special forces that they started the war with two years ago. Versus now, I mean, most of those guys are killed, and even the they were taking a lot of their military trainers and people in the rear that they needed and sending them to the front lines because they needed bodies and they did, needed people that knew how to fight when things were going really bad. And so most of their best troops have been killed or too severely wounded to return to combat and sent, sent back home. And the same thing for the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian losses are something like, you know, I've seen estimates like 70 to 80% of what the Russians have lost and um, when you look at the amount of killed in action that Russia has now, it's over 400,000 of, of their troops have been killed in action. And when you think about the whole Afghan war for Russia, they lost, like, I think it was 33,000 total. That was their Vietnam. The United States during World War II, we lost 400,000 troops in that war. And the Russians have already surpassed that in the, in the special military operation. So it's, a, you know, it's just absolute carnage in this war and they're thinking the Biden administration is basically we're trying, we're, we're killing all their best and most experienced troops. And we're also destroying their best and their most advanced equipment. And so that what you're seeing now versus like when the war started out is they're going into stockpiles and they're pulling tanks, uh, you know, that were made in the forties and the fifties in, in, in some cases out of storage, even some of their artillery 
just because they they need material. APCs, armored personnel carriers. I mean, they're some of them they're upgrading and modernizing a little bit, putting new engines and stuff like that, or new guns on it, or whatever. But that's the whole goal. They're they're giving the Ukrainians enough to keep them from losing, but they're basically trying to keep the war going so they could just slowly murder as many of the Russian troops as possible and weaken the Russian military and destroy as many of their advanced air defense systems, their armored personnel carriers, their tanks, their vehicles, their fuel trucks, just destroy as much of it as they can. And so when you hear this guy talk, then you go, okay, because everybody's so frustrated, right? The Republicans like, we need to stop this war. And everybody on the left is like, we need to get what they need to win. And then when you listen to Jake Sullivan, it's like, he's dragging it on purpose. His goal is just strictly to, to murder as many of the, of the Russian troops as possible and drag it out for as long as possible to take to eliminate as many Russian men and material and their equipment and their How stockpiles long? of ammunition, even though we're going through our own as well. And uh, so Avdivka has now fallen, and so the, the line is going to straighten out along there. But I was reading reports that um, – we were talking about this Russian mill blogger yesterday – that um, he reported that the Russians got – they'd lost 16,000 troops just trying to retake Avdivka. And there are estimates that the actual number of killed in action is somewhere around 30,000. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Prigozhin, Yuri Prigozhin, oh, yeah. before he got shot out of the air by an air, air defense missile, he was saying that the Russian losses were three or four times – what the Russian Ministry of Defense had reported. And so when you looked at that and you take that into consideration with what the Ukrainians had reported, it's, it makes sense. And so back to this Russian mill blogger, he reports that there's basically 16,000 killed in action Russians. And so the Russian Ministry of Defense said, you need to take that report down. And so they made him take it down, and then he, he committed suicide, apparently. Well, they still got him. That's insane. Even <laughs> so, after taking it down. So you get arrested or you get suicided. You know, there's lots of people that have spoken out against the war or said the wrong thing, and they end up falling yeah. out of hospital windows or they're smoking a cigarette on, on the balcony at a hospital or whatever, and they fall out. Or they're at their apartment and they fall out of their, their window. Or they're at an office building and they fall out of a window. That seems to be something that the Russians like to do to send a message with uh, Yuri Prigozhin that, you know, they sent a big message with that. Yeah, they use the air defense to shoot his ass out of the air and say, oh, it was just a mistake. The air defense accidentally went off and shot him out of the air. And it was a message because it was revenge for – because there was a um, – uh, I think it was an electronics countermeasure plane that he ended up shooting down. I think he shot down a couple of attack – these are Russian attack helicopters. And so they killed, I don't know, 12 or 18 Russian Air Force guys that they shot out of the sky. With their air defenses, yeah. this was um, Wagner or Wagner. This was they used their air defenses to shoot down Russians, and so the Russian military used an air defense to shoot shoot um, his private jet out of the air. And um, I mean, just it's just the whole war is crazy. And then if you watch the Tucker interview, it's pretty clear that Putin he he wants Ukraine back. And if you study the history of Ukraine, you know that. Russia was basically founded in Kiev or Kiev, I guess, as, as you the way you're supposed to pronounce it. And so he said many times, this is on video, and he's been saying it for decades that you know Ukraine's not really a state. It shouldn't be a state. It should have never been a state. 
he he didn't like the collapse of the Soviet Union. It's pretty obvious that he's trying to regather and reconstitute as much of that as yeah. possible, especially why while Biden is in office, because when he attacked Ukraine in 2014, when Obama was in office, all he did was issue strongly worded letters and didn't do shit other than sending some more weapons and stuff like that. And so now that they're shifting to a strictly defensive strategy, it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of counteroffensive or anything, obviously, in 2025 because they're trying to reconstitute combat power, trying to get more supplies. The F-16s are supposed to be coming online. But they've been, they keep slow rolling those because the F-16s will give them a significant advantage. And then just earlier t- um, today I was reading – um, you know, those, um, the AWACS, the most advanced type of Russian, um, if you ever seen those big giant AWACS that the Americans have with that big, giant rotating dish yeah. on top, you know, one of those just got shot out of the air, um, the, either this morning or yesterday by that, you know, mobile Patriot battery. Cause they brought that up and they were kind of tracking and watching that thing. And then they shot that out of the sky. And apparently that was the last one they had that was operational and flying condition that the Russians have. So this. Again, the whole, you give them enough to just absolutely wreck shop on the Russians. I don't know if you guys saw the – maybe you can put that clip of that uh, Bradley fighting vehicle shooting its 25-millimeter cannon at the Russian T-90 main battle tank and just fucking wrecking shop on it. You remember that one? Yeah. Thought, uh, so that would be cool if you can overlay that and post and, and show that. And so that's the whole philosophy. They're, the Ukrainians are not going to be given what they need to win. They're going to be given what they need to maintain the war, to kill as many Russians and, unfortunately, Ukrainians as possible, and all in order to weaken a what is considered a peer-to-peer opponent because, again, didn't Russia say they had the second most powerful or strongest military in the world or something yeah. like that? How long do you think the war goes on for? How long do you think it gets dragged out? I think Joe Biden will just drag it on until next year, even you know the Trump administration. I assume he'll end up getting elected and knowing Trump, what he will probably do is he'll probably say something along the lines of, I'm going to give the Ukrainians whatever they need to completely cut you guys off in the South. I'm going to give the Ukrainians what, what the Biden administration was not willing to do. So your whole Southern command gets cut off, and then they'll have plenty of missiles to take out the Kerch Bridge. And so that'll completely – the only way you'll be able to resupply Crimea and Southern command is going to be through o- over the water. And that hasn't been working out too well for the Russian Navy because of all the – remote-controlled, uh, like, boat bombs that they're out there. They've su- sunk another uh, Russian Corvette um, in the ocean. A couple, what was it, last week or, or the week before with some remote-controlled little boats that have bombs on it. And um, so if you think about it, because the material is there, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the Western gear, the Western equip- equipment is far superior to anything that the Russians have. But they're not being given what they need in quantities to decisively win, decisively cut them off. And again, if you listen to Jake Sullivan, the videos out there, he's been interviewed several times on it. He has no problem talking about their strategy. So that's the strategy. And that's the way it is. And it does not look like it's going to change. Despite the circus that's going on with Congress and the funding and all of this shit, the stockpiles are there. Biden has the authority, if he wants to, to send the stuff that the Ukrainians need. Plus, whenever, whether it's Denmark or any of our other allies give like F-16s or other um, kit that they bought from us to the Ukrainians, we have to sign off on it. And so that's another thing. Jake Sullivan is not signing off on equipment that the Ukrainians desperately need because, again, that's not 
he believes that it will give the Ukrainians too much of a decisive advantage and push or escalate the war a little bit more in the Ukrainians' favor. And again, he wants to keep it festering, keep it going, to kill as many Russians as possible. So I don't see that changing until Trump comes in. But, you know, that's what he'll say. He'll give them what they need to where, you know, Putin realizes he's going to lose all the South there. And, and that will give the Ukrainians what they need to negotiate. But he's yeah, not going to just fold up tent yeah. and let Putin take Ukraine despite what he's, he says. He, if you look what he did when he was in office, he was the one that gave them all the javelins that they used to stop the Ukrainian or the Russian invasion when they invaded Ukraine. So that's what I think is going to happen. But anyways, that was a long diatribe. And, you know, I wanted to kind of go because, you know, it's been almost three months since we originally filmed this. But it was a fun discussion with with Eric. But, I mean, the Ukrainians could win. We have the ability to give them what they need to win. But they're not being given what they need to win on purpose. Because, again, if you listen to Jake Sullivan, who works, who runs the war for Joe Biden, they just want to kill as many Russians as possible and drag it out as long as possible. Death by a thousand paper cuts, whatever you want to call it. Because they're going through all their stockpiles, even their, their old equipment. They're going, they're going through all of it. And it'll take years and years to rebuild that back up. So from a strategic perspective... Yeah, it's just crippling Russia. It's, it's a good thing to do from a strategic or a military perspective. Is it a nice thing to do? Obviously not. I mean, war is awful. I mean, I, I've, with all of the drone footage and all of the, the battles that I've watched, whether it's just... I've seen thousands of Russians and thousands of Ukrainians murdering each other. And up close and personal, with guns, with bombs, with vehicles, it's just... I mean... I, I mean, it's so up close and, and in your face, the footage that's out there, it's, it has an effect on you. It's like when you see that much carnage and death, it's like, especially the one, maybe you can add this video in there too. There was a, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a Russian, I think it might have been in Avdivka, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it had a mine plow on it and he hit a mine and it blew the track off his tank and disabled his tank. And so this guy got out of his tank and he can't really go anywhere or run anywhere because he's in the middle of a minefield. So if he runs away from the tank, or he could step on a mine and blow himself up, and then he just turns into a pink ball of mist, so there'll be nothing left of him. And so what happens is an FPV drone, which is a first-person you know, drone, which is like you have the goggles and you can yeah. fly it with your phone, in essence, or remote control. It's the kind of drone you buy on Amazon, and it's got a bomb attached to it. And so a Ukrainian pilot is, in essence, chasing this Russian. And so he's kind of hiding under the, the cannon, and he's got some camo netting. And, uh, and then he starts kind of trying to run in a circle away from it, and it just, you know, the bomb gets his ass. It's just, it's awful. It's awful to see that. You know, these are, you know, this is the flower of Russian and Ukrainian youth. They're just absolutely slaughtering each other by the tens of thousands. It's like, for what? What is going to be the net effect of it? So a bunch of oligarchs can play Monopoly. Yeah, on they a chessboard. They have all the rights to all the stuff to build the bit. Like when they have to build back after the war, they're going to own it. Well, everything's so, destroyed. Yeah. This city, Avdivka, is totally destroyed. Bakhmut, we were talking about that. Is everywhere the Russians have taken, they've just mostly completely destroyed it. And on top of that, you got all this unexploded ordnance, you got unexploded mines. And, you know, for dec- the next 50, 100 years, people and kids are going to come across these unexploded ammunition. They're going to blow themselves up, blow their hands off, blow their legs off cripple themselves it's you know that's that sucks for the future 
But, you know, even if the Russians take a big portion of it, it's still a lot of innocent people are going to be getting killed for decades because of all the unexploded ordnance and booby traps and other things that are, are going to be left out there, whether it's in the buildings or in the fields or in the trenches or, or any of that stuff. So, But anyways, I hope you guys enjoy. But again, this what we're talking about, that was the picture back in November, so it's interesting three months later. And now we have, you know, Jake Sullivan basically saying that they're just going to slowly attrit the Russians. And so it, it's going to be like this. It's not really going to go anywhere. Just a lot of people are going to be dying. There's a lot of videos floating around of Bradley's, you know, so we sent Ukraine Bradley's and I know uh, the Germans sent leopard tanks. So there's a lot of material coming from the West to the Ukraine in order for them to fight a war against Russia and everything. And we see videos where, oh, this is reportedly, this is a blown up uh, Leopard 2, or this is a blown up Bradley fighting vehicle, or it's a blown up, uh, you know, American tank or American piece of hardware or something like that. That very well may be true, right? Like I've seen some mangled wreckage, like, yeah, the Russians have destroyed some American equipment, but I believe the crew what, survived. What, what, what you wind up finding out is that the crew often survives. And that is the thing. You cannot, it is impossible to recover that experience back. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of time to train men well, back up. Yeah, it's far easier to replace uh, equipment than people. And then also. And they're able to fix that equipment too eventually. Yes. They've got repair facilities set up. You see, look at the logistics of how they handle war losses on the Ukrainian side versus the Russian side. The Russians are like, oh. They're doing meat assaults. They're, yeah, they're, they're blown up. They're gone. Oh, we lost 12 BMPs trying to. You know, go take this little village. It has no strategic value. Avdivka. Avdivka, yes. And we're going into Avdivka and lost 12 BMPs and the crews and everything. And all the ground infantry, like, dead, they've, gone. They've had days where they're losing. And their only, only, only recourse is to go, well, dig some more old-ass BMPs out of storage that barely run. Well, it doesn't matter if they barely run. They only got to make it right there. That's, a, that's not the mindset of abundance you want to have in a war fighting capability. You know? To spread yourself out like that. So, also, the West is doing, it's quite clever. Maybe this is something people haven't thought about. Maybe they have. I'm sure they have. It's something I think about. Is, yeah, German gave those Leopard 2s. We gave the Bradleys. You know, we gave some, I think we're doing some uh, slightly older uh, Abrams packages. Like, maybe not the and new strikers. fancy armor. We send a lot of strikers. Maybe not the fancy new armor, but we're sending some, some uh, Abrams and we're sending strikers, which... Look, my experience with the striker in Iraq was that it was a major piece of shit. <laughs> but, however, when properly maintained and with good parts support, pretty solid vehicle. You know, it's got its place, right? But what is the West doing? The West is fielding their equipment against the Russians and letting the Ukrainians test it out and see how it holds up against the Russians. That's smart. So it's smart on the Germans to go, oh, yeah, we'll give you some Leopard 2s. And they're going, we'll see how well the Russians do against those. And, of course, they're training the crews. They give them every best opportunity. They're not just throwing some conscript in a tank and going, yeah. here's the button, here's the gas. No, they're getting training. Like, it takes time to train a tank crew, especially on an unfamiliar system that they don't even know about. I mean, yeah. a lot of the Ukrainian tank crews know how to run T-72s because that's like the Mattel toy of tanks over there. Like, the T-72s are everywhere. In Iraq, there are giant fields of T-72s that get blown up. And, and like... And complete graveyards full of BMPs and T-72s that we destroyed in the Gulf War. Like, I've been to the graveyard where they're at. They're just 
there, as far as I can see, there's T-72s destroyed. They're disposable tanks for disposable soldiers. Because the soldiers the common don't matter. Tank. In, during World War II, when, uh, during the, I guess, the siege of Stalingrad, they didn't have enough rifles to give to the Russian troops. And so what they did is they took broomsticks and painted them black. And so they would do basically meat assaults. And if somebody that had a rifle gets killed, then the only way you could get a rifle if you got a broomstick is to pick up a rifle from somebody that was dead. And, you know, you saw the same thing with in Bakhmut. Um, when the Russians took Bakhmut, they were sending these, you know, they, they went to all these guys that are in jail for life or whatever and said, hey, if you can survive six months in country, then we will, your record will be expunged and you're, you'll be a free man. And so they were doing these meat assaults, and because the, the, the regular Russian army would send these prisoners in their gear to, to charge at the Ukrainians, so the Ukrainians would fire on them, and then the Russians could figure out where the Ukrainians were at. And they get killed by the tens of thousands. I mean, Progrosin, before he got shot out of the sky, was talking about how, I mean, this is all on video. You can see the video, and it's all translated. On, it's been on Twitter from ever since it happened. But he said the actual numbers of Russian killed in action is three, four times what was officially being put out. And then when you looked at that, lining up with what the Ukrainians had been saying were killed in action Russian-wise, it totally lined up. But in terms of war math, that is an optimal outcome for the Ukrainians. Yep. As long as you're exacting three to one rate of casualties, I mean, preferably as much as you can. I mean, obviously... If you're losing casualties, if you're having, if you are accepting casualties at a one to one rate, that's that's not a, 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 yeah. a paradigm for success. What we teach in the West is as a three to one fire superiority. If we're going to take an objective, right, and we know there's two thousand enemy, we're going to bring six thousand to their two thousand. We're going to have a three to one fire superiority over them, and then the acceptable loss might be that yeah, we may lose, you know, a third of our men. But the idea is that because we have three-to-one fire superiority and exceptional tactics and planning and logistics and, you know, of course we have our shit together, well, then the idea is that the overwhelming force will win the day and our good tactics and planning and everything will have us come out on top. But even if all of those things fall apart, every plan falls through, something happens, there's a kink in the armor, well... You still have three to one fire superiority. You will take the day. You will win the day. It might cost you. And we we learned that in Korea. We learned that in Vietnam. I mean, look, it's it's all classically been dealt with in American doctrine for years. Is that that whole three to one fire superiority that you want to try to maintain? And who do you think is training the Ukrainians on what to do, how to plan battles, how to? collect your intelligence and figure out how you're going to get your marching orders together and, and, and conduct an operation, what that operation's going to be. Then we, we started back, what was it, 2014? We've been training, equipping, advising, mentoring the Ukrainian military for almost a decade now. Yeah. You know, it's good training. And when you look at the influence of the American soldier, the American fighting man and woman globally with our allies, you look at, like, Egypt, We've been training, equipping, mentoring, advising the Egyptian military for decades. And when the revolution happened, 2010, 2011, the most respected institution in Egypt was what? Their military. Who mentored, trained them, equipped them? Our guys did. Same thing with Saudi Arabia. 
Same thing now with the Iraqis. And globally, we've been training, mentoring. And, and, and so when you look at like what happened with the Egyptian revolution, what kept the country together was the military. And again, that's part of the influence of our foreign policy. So because our guys basically lived and slept alongside and worked alongside and bled alongside and sweat alongside these other troops from other countries, it's part of our value system gets transferred and passed on to them. Our doctrine gets passed on to them. And they also see our work ethic. Yes. They look at us and they go, wow, like these Americans aren't lazy. Like, you know, they actually do know what they're talking about. Like, wow, these, these folks know how to fight. Like, wow, they're strong. Look at them. Like, you know, you, you, you carry that with you. You carry who you are into every situation that you put yourself in and, Trust me, people pay attention to that. I mean, you know. Look at the Ukrainians. You know, I'm sure a lot of those dudes that were working in an office, working in a coffee shop that in a matter of weeks were on the front lines with a pistol, a rifle, that, and they probably, none of them had ever had any training, much less probably learned to handle those weapons. And you're, you're not going to learn what you need to learn in a couple of weeks to become really super competent and safe with those. It's like, and then you're going up against potentially Russian special forces or just their regular army that actually have training and professionalism. And it's like, you know, I'm sure a lot of those Ukrainian dudes would have really have liked to have grown up with guns, learned to handle them, had them, owned them, knew how to shoot, hunt, all those things with them because they go from the office to the front lines in a matter of weeks. And, you know, a lot of those dudes just got slaughtered because they didn't know how to defend themselves. Right. I know that there were, you know, grandmas making Molotov cocktails out in the streets. Yep. So, you know, they were handing out pamphlets and handing out rifles. I mean, the government in Kiev started taking rifles and handing them out to civilians in order to defend the city. Isn't that kind of funny that that was heavily applauded that we're giving weapons to all these people, but the same people, the same politicians and the same people that vote a certain way were like, oh, we can't have the guns ourselves, but like, oh, we must give the Ukrainians these guns because they yeah. need to... They the don't Ukrainian really see the got to have them, but not us. Yeah, once, they they, once they think that their ass in the sl- is in the sling, uh, everything changes. But that's too late. That's the, probably, that's the irony. Yeah. Like, they're when, trained when Russia invades before. your country and you've never had any experience with firearms and just because of the nature of the sudden invasion you're not going through boot camp and going to spend, you know, a year, year and a half training and learning to be a soldier or a Marine or whatever. It's like, you're going to have to figure it out. In a matter of weeks, you're, you're right there in the front lines getting, getting blown up and shot at. And you have to figure it out. Yeah. Or you're and dead. And some of them did. Yeah. I'm sure some of them, you know, adapted. <clears throat> I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, they're pretty wily people. I mean, they seem to, you know, be pretty tenacious. I mean, look at the farmers, like, toting off tanks and artillery pieces, like, capturing Russian equipment with, like, their, their freaking tractors and stuff and dragging them back to the Ukrainians, you know. It was like, you know, they've, they've done some pretty courageous stuff, so I'd, I'd, I'd venture to say they probably do a little better than one might think, you know. Maybe they would actually fare quite well, you know. I think I got a, I got a little more faith in them than that. I mean, they did do really good. I mean, like, they repelled the Russians, you know. Yep. They beat them. Victory's victory, right? Doesn't they matter how it happens. Fought them to a stalemate, basically, and yeah. you know now they're just attriting them. Yeah, does it matter how it happens at the end? Who did it? I mean, just give everybody credit. People that volunteered, the military. I mean, it was just a group effort, you know. It's just crazy to think about how 
badly that column got destroyed. Like, they lost a lot of people in that first, you know, initial part of the invasion. Yeah, I remember seeing the video and the pictures of some of those, you know, because a lot of those vehicles were just stored out in the sun, and so the tires had dry rotted, and you just see them where mm-hmm. they just disintegrated and fell apart, and they just had to completely abandon that multi-million dollar air defense system on the side of the road or, or whatever, or they had to call them because they're thinking, you know, they've been told, that, I mean, they're not even going to fight. Three days, the war will be over, and so they drive in this long, long mm-hmm. column, and you know, you shoot the front vehicle and disable it. You shoot the back vehicle, and now everybody's stuck. And you pick them off at your leisure, whether artillery or javelins or, or whatever. Just like in Finland on the logging trails in World War Two. Yep. Same thing. Same it was thing. weird. I mean, you think about any major city, like you know, one in Florida is like Federal Highway, and you know, Federal Highway goes you know all the way through the state. It's usually all up and down the whole state of Florida. It's a busy metropolitan area like that, or some places are a little more rural and there's houses alongside the road. Mostly it's businesses and stuff or a combination of both. And just imagine a, you know, big long column of military vehicles. And then you disable the ones in the front and the back. And it was amazing just seeing all these vehicles just blown up in the street, tanks, APCs just mangled and ripped in half, tank turrets, thrown up and landing on top of houses or buildings, dead bodies everywhere, dead Russians everywhere. And they took such heavy losses, they, you know, they had to stop their march in Kiev. They couldn't, and plus their logistics were overstretched, so they couldn't support their army. Did you ever recall seeing those uh, crematory trailers that they were pulling around, like mobile crem- crematory? Yeah, because they had so many dead, they, you know, they were having to cremate them. Yeah. And probably that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, because like, there's a lot of, Russian families, like, they have no word. They have no idea what happened to their, their family member. Wow. And I see a lot of cases, it's like, the Russian they don't even give a shit about each other. It's like, you see groups of them getting attacked, and then you got one guy, he's laying there, and he's been hit, and they're just, they just walk around and they even try to give him any assistance, just walk around them and just let them bleed, bleed to death, not even try to help them. Just, you know, going about their business and it's completely strange and they it? just leave the bodies there and then the dude dies right there and then you know the russians are still 15 20 feet away in their trenches and they didn't bother going and getting the guy and they just let him die and then he just sits there and rots in the sun and just dozens of bodies of their comrades just laying everywhere rotting stinking and they don't do nothing about it they don't even try to recover them they just leave them there wow it's fucked up isn't it yeah they might try to recover the guns you know, pull the guns off of them, recover the equipment. There's just no regard for each other's lives. They just don't care. And I, I've seen, I saw a video also of a bunch of Russians that were, fl- you know, they got overrun. And so they were running back to the, the back lines. And the Russian regular three guys come out, and there's probably like eight or ten guys running. And they didn't even have, have they, they ran away so quickly, they didn't even take their weapons. And these guys are like waving at them, you know, hey, where are your comrades? And, you know, they got up close and they just killed them all, you know, shot them and then went over and put a couple rounds in their head just as because they had been told, hey, you can't surrender. You can't retreat. I mean, the Russian army did that to their own troops in World War Two. They said, hey, here we don't have enough weapons. Here's broomsticks. You know, you need to charge up there. And if if you want a gun, you pick one up from somebody that's dead that actually had a gun. It's the same thing, too. It's like they ran back. 
instantly yeah shot. and they would so, they had machine guns set up so if the, the troops start running they'll shoot and kill their own guys and i watched the russians do it in ukraine when these guys were retreating that they said that you got to hold the line it's either you die or you hold the line and then when they went off running back to the back lines they all got mowed down by their own dudes just assassinated and just then the guy just they calmly walked back to their trench lines and just left the dude's bodies there to 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 rot didn't bother picking them up wow. no regard for their lives at all Damn. You know, what Sun, one of the things Sun Tzu said was when armies are evenly matched, the one with compassion wins. I think the Ukrainians have more compassion than that. I mean, come on. Yep. Dang. Well, you can see it. Somebody gets wounded, they're usually sending two Bradleys to go pick those guys up. Very Western doctrine. Yep. Overpowering recovery and aid. Yep aiding litter and getting them out and making that process where they're real well protected and there's good security and good operational security, good communication. Everyone's pulling security. It's a well-organized operation, you know, not just, Hey, Jimmy, come bring the meat wagon over. No. I mean, like it's very specific. You got to follow a certain route and call in say, Hey, we're on the way, you know, communicate everything. You know, you know the last thing you want to do is shoot your own people when they're pulling up, you know, yep. in the confusion. <clears throat> so it's well articulated and communicated to each other. And, you know, much more of a Western doctrine where everything is very organized and very methodical and very carefully done, whereby theirs is just utter chaos, like two totally, completely different ways of thinking uh, of warfare, for sure. The Russians seem to have like very little discipline when it comes to, you know, thinking about things logically, like the Ukrainians do. It's a tragedy of epic proportions. Yeah. Some heavy stuff, man. Been a, bad, a really rough war for them. It's tough to watch that because there's so much gore on Twitter. But it's like if you want to see what happens and kind of understand it, and you know, it's like you just you're gonna get exposed to that shit. How much know? longer do you think it's gonna be going on? I don't know. Like we were talking about earlier, it, it just seems like Joe Biden is slow rolling the ammunition and the stuff that they need, whether it's the F-16s, they're, mm-hmm. they just, <clears throat> they were supposed to have that new, um, that new glide bomb that was, you know, would, would go in the HIMARS tubes or the HIMARS launchers that gets like double the range. And we were, you know, so the contract, I don't know, Boeing or somebody I think makes those, they're ready. They're ready to deploy them. And, uh, and they're they're good to go. We're like, like we're ready to send them to Ukraine. They were supposed to be in Ukraine by December, and the U.S. the Pentagon goes, ah, we want to test it for a, a little while longer. And so now it's January, February. It's like they fucking need them now, for sure. It's like you, you're. So I look at stupid shit like that. It's the contractor came through and got it done early, and you know it's ready to be deployed on the front lines, and they need it and. They don't get it. This just means more Ukrainians dead, more Russians dead. And I look at that and it goes, it's like, it just seems like they want to kill as many Ukrainian and Russian men as possible. Just let them bleed each other out as long as they can. Give the Ukrainians enough to keep them from losing, but not enough to win decisively. And uh, it's, you know, because you see it, you read in the press and Zelensky is, I mean, he's done a great job being a, a wartime president for his country and he's just constantly... In essence, fundraising and, you know, asking for material and, and help, and he's getting a lot of it, but 
there's a lot of things that they should have. I mean, I've been reading that we've got always like a thousand, fifteen hundred old Bradleys that we could send over there that we're paying forty, fifty thousand dollars, I think, a piece to basically demilitarize and then scrap them and sell the metal. It's like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. And we're just destroying these things, which we should be keeping in the first place. And they could really use them because when they need to evac people out, the, one of the first things they send in is a Bradley. Mm. You know, those are saving a lot of lives over there, a lot of Ukrainian lives. And like you were talking about, the, they're being very methodical. They're just trying to slowly attrit the, you know, because they can't get the stuff that they really need to really go full out at, at the Russians to break through the lines. So they're just trying to slowly pick off every piece of air defense. I've seen some of the air defenses that the the Russians have that are painted in like winter type of yeah. camouflage showing up in Crimea and obviously that that means that they're you know they're taking air defenses from other places cuz they're they're getting destroyed they're, the where they got the beachhead cuz the Russians are complaining they can't get any counter battery fire it's you know the Ukrainians are you know they, cuz they brought up artillery now and so they're able to hit hit the Russians and uh, so with the electronic warfare and the air defense that they've got, it's like, you know, the, the Russians try to hit them and they just, they just can't. They're outranged with uh, the Western artillery, outranges what they have. So because they've had to back all their artillery and stuff up. And so they're slowly moving in. And it's like, they, you know, that's an area because of the river that, you know, the Russians didn't, you know, have huge minefields and there's not a, you know, a lot of defenses that, you know, the, the Russian defenses are really thin in that area because they'd never expected them to come through. But when they blew the dam, and it, it, a lot of places, it washed all their minefields away too. Um, and so they have a bunch of uh, equipment that, you know, is good for getting across, like, swampy areas. Plus, wait until all people start finding the mines in the river downstream, you know. Yeah, yeah. We have to clean all that up. So they're talking about, because um, they only, I don't know, I guess they have a limited number of, like, you know, the pontoon bridges. And so they don't want to bring those up and build them and then have the Russians blow them up because they don't have any more. Uh, but to bring in the armor and stuff they want, I've been reading that they said they need, like, five of them in place to be able to bring everything forward they need, plus to be able to continue to supply a force that big so they can make their way through the Russian rear and cut them off completely, cut off all the rails, cut off all the roads, and get to the Sea of Azov. And, you know, the whole southern Russia is like they're cut off. And then, you know, when they get to the Sea of Azov, then they can take out the, the uh, Kerch Bridge. And so the only way, you know, they're completely cut they off. They can and, cut them off. And they only have, like, supposedly three or four days of ammunition, the Russians do. And it's like... So you're getting no food, you're getting no medical evacuation, you're getting no more ammunition, and you're getting no more fuel. So you're within a few days, you're, all your vehicles are bricked. I bet the troops down there are on edge. Those guys that are left, the Russians, I bet they're, they feel like they're about to get hemmed up. I think there's like seventy to 80,000 of them in the south, isn't there? Is that how many Russians oh are deployed down there? Those guys are going to get their asses handed to them. That's going to be a fucking bloodbath. But, you know, all war is deception, so maybe the appearance of slow rolling of, you know, because oftentimes when, you know, the Americans say, okay, now we're, we're, now we're sending these things, they've already had it for weeks. 
you know, it was like the Heimers, oh, we're going to send five. And then when you look at the numbers of crews that were trained, because that was published, you're like, that's like 55 vehicles. And then six months later, you find out that they already got 50 of those systems. And you're like, ah. So, you know, supposedly we're sending them old, old generation F-16 jets, and their radar does, it has less of a range than the, you know, the Russians have in their most advanced fighters. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of fucking stupid. You know, you're going you're asking for them to get shot down basically because the Russians can see them before they can see the Russians unless you know they're being having modifications or, I mean the smart surely they have better radar. Form. The smart thing to do is to send our most advanced or give them a handful of our most advanced F-16s and see what the Rack fuck they can kills. do. Yeah, because yeah, we got a new one that kills. just rolled out and they've mm-hmm. got all these new electronic warfare and jamming pods and stuff like that. It's like. Let's see if it works. I've seen um, yeah. Russian channels, um, bloggers, complaining that the the West is sending all of their latest weapons to basically test them on them, to test killing them better and, and yeah. more efficiently. And it's very upsetting and demoralizing to them, obviously. 